All right. Welcome to Live Courageously, podcast show number seven, February 19th of 2022, and also the 23rd podcast show since I started it a year ago. Just want to thank everyone who's watching the podcast or have watched previous shows. Um, just want to tell you I appreciate it. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And it's also been an unconscious theme of most of my life. If you haven't seen the previous 22 podcasts with some of my amazing friends sharing their powerful stories of overcoming all odds and going on to live powerful lives, you can watch them on my John Duffy Live Courageously YouTube channel. And I have another 40 plus friends planned to be on to be my guest on future shows. So keep on coming back. Fear is just a reaction, but courage is a choice. And I suggest that you consciously choose courage and faith over fear and courage every time you experience fear to get through life and to deal with whatever life may throw at you in the future. I like to share an article that I read that defines six types of courage. And those six types of courage are physical courage, which is to keep going with resilience, social courage, to be yourself unapologetically, moral courage, doing the right thing, even when it's uncomfortable or unpopular, emotional courage, feeling all your emotions, positive and negative, without guilt or attachment, intellectual courage, uh, to learn, unlearn, and relearn with an open and flexible mind, and spiritual courage, living with purpose and meaning. It will serve us all well to adopt courage in all those areas of our lives. So today, let me introduce you to a friend, my guest, Eric Christensen, who brings a unique perspective with his films dealing with trauma, recovery, and hope. Eric is an acclaimed documentarian who has built his life work around socially responsible filmmaking that educates, inspires, and most importantly, heals. Christensen, a seven-time Southwest Regional Emmy Award recipient, uh, his films explore the impact of trauma, how we respond to grief, the resilience of the human spirit, and a powerful platform for hope can help trauma survivors begin the vigilant journey of healing. A, tra a trauma survivor himself, Christensen worked through the loss of his home and possessions in the Painted Cave Fire in California by creating his first film, Faces in the Fire, 25 years ago. All of his films, Unmasking Hope, Faces in the Fire, Homecoming, A Vietnam Vet's Journey, and Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, have been transformative in the recovery process for thousands of peoples whose lives have been compromised, compromised mentally, spiritually, and physically by trauma, leveraged as educational tools by top mental health institutions, institutions Christensen's films migrate from the entertainment arena into environments that help additional audiences navigate the profound collateral damage trauma creates, not only on the individual, but the family and the community as well. The New York Times called his previous film, Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, strikingly photographed and sure to give comfort and support to countless veterans and their families. By spotlighting these survivors and their journey, Christensen has been able to help unify a variety of audiences around the power of hope and educate the general population about the complexities of trauma. Eric has been recently named an ambassador by the nonprofit organization Given Hour, cementing his position as an ambassador of hope. Christensen's latest uh, feature documentary, Unmasking Hope, can be seen airing on public television on, and on PBS streaming. 
He's also produced content in the past for major networks, including Discovery, TLC, PBS, MTV, and IMAX Films. So with all that said, I'd love to welcome Eric to Live Courageously. Welcome, hey welcome, welcome, man. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and, and joining me uh, on this. And, uh, you know, I want to I start out usually every show with two things. Um, and then I want to get into your journey because it's been a long and, and a very productive journey, clearly. But uh, I, I, first questions I usually ask people if they remember the first time we met. That's where I usually started, because so far, every one of my guests, with the exception of one, has been someone I've met in the real world as opposed to on social media and have had a chance to um, interact with them in life. So I start there. You know, I met you through Mark and I, and Mark is very colorful. <laughs> and I think that was the first time I met Mark too. And you came over, uh, I was just finishing up searching for home coming back from war and you came over to that as sweet. And, um, it was awesome. I mean, it, it was great to meet you guys. And then, um, you know, ever since then we've been kind of connected, you know, you came to the other premiere on searching for home and, but yeah, I, I remember that day. I remember pretty clearly where you're sitting and everything because uh, Mark leaves an indelible mark and then <laughs> Mark two, power, two powerful personalities. Good. That's good. He, he, he does. Marcus Bovey, who uh, I met at the GI Film Festival in Washington, D.C. Um, and that's when we made our first introduction and got to know each other and became dear friends and then, you know, he mentioned that your film, because he was doing a thing called Vetflix, and he wanted me to meet you because he, you know, he thought your film was a uh, an excellent documentary that you had made. And so he brought us and we got over and met you in your office and we had a great time. And, you know, I got a little bit of an insight into your, you know, your mindset as to what you uh, were promoting in the film of hope and resilience and recovery. So it was a great meeting and it was a great chance to connect with you. And then watching your film, uh, it was excellent. So let me ask you before I start, go back a little bit and step back to your personal journey. What is, uh, you know, if you do have an opinion, what does live courageously uh, that mean to you? Um, you know, what does that mean? Uh, how do you resonate with that? You know, that, that, that that's a great question. We could talk the whole show about that. <laughs> I, I love the six different definitions of it. Because, you know, it, 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 it seeps into all the different parts of our life. But for me, when I just hear those two words, live courageously, I think it's, I think it's moving ahead and not being stuck with anything from the past for me. And it, it's, just, it's just letting that go, living in the moment and, and, and going forwards. And not, you know, it's, it's just, um, <laughs> it, it reminds me of a saying that an old timer once told me. It's like, you have one step in tomorrow and you have one step in the past and you're tinkling on today, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, it's about living in, it's not living in the, in the you know, it's living for now and, and moving forwards without being tied down by that past, no matter what's happened. You know, it's like what Rocky says. It doesn't matter how hard you hit. It's how you get up. And it's just and moving forwards. And it's just, that's what, that's what I hear. That's the first thing that really hits me. It doesn't matter what the past is. It could change tomorrow. Well, you know, it, it, obviously that, that is so true of you because not living in the past, your journey, or at least a, a piece of your journey started out with an experience you had, which was traumatic 
um, which happened to you with the burning down in your house and the fires and that it, you experienced in California. And so you moved from that traumatic experience and not stayed in the past, but you turned it into something else. And the first thing you did was you turned it into a documentary, uh, Faces in the Fire. So start us uh, there and start that journey because you're right. You took that thing and, and, and you could have got stuck there because it's normal and human to get stuck sometimes in trauma. But you use that. You step forward. Tell us how you did that, why you did that, why you chose to, to uh, step out into that experience and turn it into a documentary that led you on to the journey you're on today. You know, it's I was just uh, I was just talking to a friend yesterday about don't leave till the miracle happens, you know, because the miracle could happen in 10 minutes. It could happen tomorrow. You know, all this stuff pushing forwards and how that relates to me going through that fire in the in the, the Painted Cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara in 1990. Um, it, it took, you know, I lost my home and all my possessions in that fire. And um, even before the fire, I wasn't drinking socially. <laughs> I had a, um, a very abnormal relationship with alcohol and drugs. Hmm. And um, but that kind of brought me to my knees. And but it took me seven months to kind of figure out that it was God's calling card to like wipe the slate clean for me. And, you know, I, I, I remember midway through, I'm like, I'm kind of screwed, you know, three and a half months after it's like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, how do I put everything back together? And, um, but you know, I stuck in there and uh, it's, it's a, it's a God thing, you know, and seven months later, the woman that's my wife now gave me this card said here's this guy don r and he knows if you're sick and tired of doing what you're doing you know he 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 could probably help you and i went to go see this guy and he had a little outpatient thing but more importantly i got into a fellowship of other men that have problems similar to myself and then during this whole thing of course <laughs> i'm starting to put together my first independent documentary naively and so uh but yeah that's really um that's how that whole thing happened. I mean, he, he wiped know, the slate clean. Well, you know, uh, that's just so powerful. And, uh, you know, that's just that saying that you were told, uh, don't leave until the miracle happens. Wow. I mean, I just think that that's just a powerful thing to kind of think about and dwell on because, you know, sometimes the worst experience of our life can be the best experience if it transforms our life, if we let the miracle happen. And, and you know, uh, that, that I've never heard that before, that saying. And, and I just think that's such a powerful saying. Um, and then in your case, you obviously the miracle did happen, not just the mirror and not even a miracle you would necessarily expect in. That horrible experience gave you the opportunity to change your life and transform your life. But you, you then you get into naively, like you say, into doing a documentary. And yes, I agree naively because because <laughs> <laughs> making a documentary as we'll go further as we go on is probably one of the hardest things to do because it's not easy for people who've never done it. The time consuming, the uh, journey that you go on, it, it, it's it's yeah, hard. Yeah. It, it, it's a hard journey. It's not something for the for the week. Let's put it that way. Um, so why did you do it? What, what, what led you to the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to make a film about this. And then you did, you know, a, a lot, you know, I'm a very spiritual man. A lot of stuff comes from, you know, from my relationship with God and, and, uh, and it was just something that was 
<clears throat> put inside of me. And it goes back to when I was, I mean, I'm this, when I was about eight years old, I made first with a script in super eight. Oh, it wasn't even super eight. It was regular eight and uh film. And uh, I always knew when I was a kid, I had some sort of message. I'm like, but why am I making all these movies? And I had some sort of message. I never really was very clear to me, but it started to get a little bit more clear. Something pushed me towards doing this film. And one of the things physically in the physical world that really affected me was as a survivor of this fire, it was very hard to talk to somebody outside of our circle to try to get them to understand the experience of of losing everything in one night, you know? And, uh, but when I would talk to other survivors, there's immediately this huge camaraderie mm. and that's a continuing theme in all my fears, uh, in all my feels fears in all my films. It's a continuing theme of, you know, survivor to survivor. And it's a continuing theme in my personal recovery. It's, you know, an alcoholic to an alcoholic. Mm. You know, I got to talk to another, I got to talk to another, person like me to be able to understand me and uh it's 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 interesting because now i see it a vet to a vet it has to be a combat vet to a combat vet you know and uh when you when you put those two together the healing starts happen you know because you're not alone anymore Mm. and so uh, that phenomena of seeing I wanted to portray that to the general public. I wanted to try to somehow tell our story about like getting through this fire and the recovery so outside people could understand. And so that's that's where Faces in the Fire came from. So how long did it take you to do Faces in the Fire to get it from uh, that naive idea to completion? And I have, um, I have not seen Faces in the Fire. Obviously, I've seen a couple of your films, but not I haven't seen that one yet. Um, but how long did that take? And what was that? Uh, something in there led you to the next one. So tell us a little bit about the, well, those two well, things. Well, John, you, you saw me smile. <laughs> <laughs> and that naively, th- this is when I used to do films and it would only take about a year. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, no matter what, I get it done. And, and, you know, from the inception and everything, we had it ready for the first anniversary of the painted cave fire disaster and we showed it in conjunction with all sorts of uh, outreach projects that were in santa barbara at the time and the american red cross and then we later uh uh hooked up with um uh the national um institute of mental health and uh uh that became part of their catalog but uh yeah it, it took a year and we we were able to have a screening in santa barbara one year on the one year uh anniversary and uh, uh the american red cross was a big part of that and so was the national institute of mental health so um it was it was quite something but and, and then my next film homecoming which we'll probably talk about that was another short turnaround but then i gave up short turnarounds <laughs> well we'll get we'll get into that when we get to the the last one, because that seems like the longest turnaround, but we'll leave that. We'll keep the audience hanging on that one. Um, but so so a year you you do it. How many uh, trauma uh, trauma victims were that did you tell the story in the first one? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'd like to call them, you know, we're all survivors. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, the only the only victims are the people that might not have made it out, you know, and uh, love that and, correction. 
And so, uh, oh, I didn't mean to correct you. But... No, no, but I take it. I take it as a positive. Yeah. You know, because exactly because language is important, and and you know that as a storyteller. So how you define yourself is important as to who you are, your identity. So no, I love it. I love. I love. But, you know, it, it's interesting because we we had about a dozen different survivors, and uh, of course the firemen, you know, different firemen and. Uh, and different uh, caseworkers from the American Red Cross. So we had over about a dozen different interviews. And I don't want to date myself, but this is before nonlinear editing. And uh, I think you wow. remember back in the day, making logs and logging footage and then oh, having yeah, time codes everywhere. And and I don't know how I did it. I just remember every night, you know, after work, going through all my logs and watching BH time-coded uh, window burn VHS tapes and logging all that footage and then making connections between all the different interviews and going into a linear one inch edit bay and start to put that thing together. So. Well, it, you know, it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty funny. Uh, I have to just, it just kind of comes to my mind because here you were doing with that old fashioned, I, we all say old fashioned editing now that uh, back then, and you did it in a year, and now with all the great technology we have, it takes us so much longer. So, we'll, you know, it's it's kind of funny uh, in, in a way, and not funny, but uh, you know, it's uh, oh man. no, I get the, I get the complete irony. Yes, indeed. But, you know, right? after it, it, the fun, the, the interesting thing about that, and this is more of an artistic, more of a mechanical thing, is when you commit to something and you commit to an edit you know, in a linear system, or when, when go even back further, when you're working on a photo cam or a stand-up moviola and you commit to an edit and you actually physically cut that 16 millimeter film or that 35 and you butt it together, you're pretty committed to it. Unless you want to do a lot of work to undo it. And uh... <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so you, you can't play around as much. You're, you're, you're kind of, you got to make some decisive decisions yeah, and stick with them and live with them, right? Whether you're oh, totally, yeah. Later, you might wish you didn't make that decision, but it is what it is, and you and you did, right? And then you live with it, and it's it's the best you can accomplish at the time. So, so you finish this first one, faces in the fire. You you create that um, camaraderie with this group of survivors, and, and you you know, and you and then you transform your life by going into uh, uh, finding the connection that was given to you and finding another group that'll support you on your rehab. So now you're you're at that place in life with those two things. What made you start to do the second film about Vietnam veterans? Why that topic? And you know, where did you go from from the first one to that one and how did you get there? Oh my gosh, you know, that's a great question because it's all a fine tapestry, you know. God lays everything out in a certain order and it's it just you know a friend of mine used to say we're just the we're just the dust mites down here in the carpet and we don't see the grand design but if we take the fifty thousand foot view we see the whole tapestry huh. and that's how things kind of fall together and um you know i was so moved by my personal growth in doing faces in the fire but not only that but seeing the people in the film grow and then seeing a whole community grow up around the film and connect it, it just there's a lot of healing a lot of different facets to to the film and i i kind of got I, I was very moved it was something i wanted to experience again but after that film uh i was picked up uh by a producer and uh 
I ended up doing a lot of work for public television that was underwritten by big companies like Staples and AT&T. And I directed a lot of stuff and they're like, Oh, give it that warm fuzzy, like faces in the fire, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't my, and it, it wasn't like that heart thing that I had with faces in the fire. So, but it was almost eight years later or more, maybe even 10. Mm. I was kind of praying for another project like wow. face in the fire and I'm sitting in my men's group and it's, it's a men's group and we're all sharing. And, uh, there is a gentleman in there. His name's Bob Trimble and I can, I'm sure he doesn't mind me naming him rest in peace. He's passed away since then, but he was a, a silver star, purple heart Vietnam vet. And, uh, his mom had just passed away and he said, you know, I have a lot of stuff coming up right now. My mom, really my mom's passing away is really triggering this and i've heard about a motorcycle run from california to the wall in washington dc and i'm thinking of going on this thing and it was right there and i'm like oh that could be my next film so i met with him met with a couple other guys that are going on the run and uh and fingers <laughs> ed gone is his real name but everybody has a road name i remember having the lunch with them and uh and fingers got up from the table and biker navy vietnam vet and uh he got up from the table and goes you know a lot of people talk about going on this run very few do and he walked away and i'm like oh he dropped the gauntlet on that man wow <laughs> i go and in in about a week and a half later maybe two weeks i was leaving on that run and i put together enough money to go on this run told my wife who just had our baby boy, our second baby boy, I said, hey, I'm going to go across the United States with a bunch of Vietnam veterans on motorcycles. And <laughs> wow. we, we took a four-wheeler. I mean, we're, we're in a... And then we made homecoming, a Vietnam vet's gen, uh, journey going across the United States on a run called Run for the Wall. And uh, it was about 400 people then, uh, Vietnam vets and their uh, support. 400 people went on to run? Yeah. Wow. Now it's thousands, at wow. least before COVID it was. I don't know what it looks like now. And that's the one that goes every year down to Washington, D.C., correct? Yeah, then they meet up. And I don't know if it happens anymore. I don't know if Rolling Thunder happens anymore. But they would meet up with all the other groups coming up into Washington, D.C., then ride in Rolling Thunder on Memorial Day. Yeah, I was I was down um, and they did postpone it, I think, for a year during COVID. But I was down in D.C. Uh, I believe it was for the GI Film Festival. And I went out there and, and watched the Rolling Thunder as it went by. And I have to tell you, it was most, it, it just blew my mind on every level. I, I, I just stood there. I would have sat there and or stood there two days if I could just to, it, it was just so empowering to watch the variety of people coming by with that uh, sense of purpose and mission and passion. And it, it, it was, uh, wow. I mean, it, it was one of those magic moments in my life that I got to see. Um, really yeah, so, so Run for the Wall is a, a run of Vietnam vets from California that meet everybody. Then they end up going on run, uh, Rolling Thunder. But they get there a little bit early, so they have time at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial at the Wall. Well, I have uh, a, I, I got a, a buddy on who we we did a film, The Flag. He, matter of fact, he's watching right now, Dave Allspach, who was a uh, Vietnam veteran. Um, and we went down there and walked 
past the wall and I shot some footage with him uh, and we did a, a move, two, two short movies, The Flag, that were based on his experiences as Vietnam oh. veteran. Uh, so, you know, he just uh, uh, shouted out to you that just great respect for you and your work. So just wanted to share that Thank with you. you. Um, and another woman who's watching Aaron, she just asked you a question and I'm going to jump in. Sometimes if I get something, I try and if it helps yeah. move the thing forward. So Aaron just asked, you know, how did you stay empowered versus getting caught up in the loop of trauma bonding, which I think is a kind of oh interesting my gosh. question. That's been, that's been a journey for me. And I can tell you in the middle of searching for home, coming back from war, it really was starting to take me down. And uh, it, it just, one of my spiritual gifts is being an empath. And I'm able to connect emotionally with people. And that's how I get the interviews in my film. And it's part of my working process. But, you know, until I met Dr. Jeremy Crosby, uh, he was at the Wichita Bob Dole VA Center in Wichita. And he started to teach me about, like, emotional states versus, versus emotional being. Okay. Mo my emotional being is my own. Right. But an emotional state is something I can take on. So when I'm like interviewing people and I'm connecting, I'm experiencing an emotional state with them. But my emotional being is something very separate than that. So, and this has taken years and I still have to practice this after every interview and when I'm editing, because I go back into those interviews to be those people again mm. and with those people and connect when I'm editing. So going back to this emotional state versus emotional being is... I, I'm I'm gifted to be able to experience that emotional state with them. They're giving me a very, very sacred gift. A lot of times I've been told, you're the only person, you're the, you're the second person I've told this story to. And it's not just veterans now. It's 9-11 survivors. It's mass shooting survivors, rape survivors, or, you know, uh, people that have went through sexual assault. And so I receive a very special gift in this sacred story that they're giving me. And it's also my responsibility to carry it through to fruition and honor them, but they're giving me a, a very sacred gift. So I take that gift and then I have a whole like library in my head and it, I put it in a beautiful box, a beautiful wooden box. And when I'm done, I can put it in that box and file it away in that place. And I thank God that, I'm somebody that somebody can trust enough to give me this sacred gift. And then I can move forwards. And then I have to open that box up again. When I'm editing, I'm like, how does this, how does this female Iraqi veteran, Iraq veteran with MST relate to this purple heart Korean war vet Marine from Kansas? So I have to kind of go back into the state that we were, were the emotional state open those boxes again so I can put that together editing wise and put it together in my mind. And I have a very special love for each person and the sacredness of what they've given me. And then I get to put it back again before I had that analogy. And it seems it's a very powerful analogy and it works. And the more I practice it before I had that analogy, you can ask my wife it's somewhere during the middle of searching for home. I was not doing well. Because I couldn't put the boxes back. I didn't see it. I saw it almost as a burden. 
that somebody would give me the story instead of a gift. Mm. And so when the, I get a gift now, and and now it's 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 an honor. And so that that's how that's how I do it. And I thank Dr. Jeremy Crosby out of Wichita, Kansas, for starting me on that journey. And it saved it saved me, and it it, it made me able to continue to do my work. Well, I, I think you just shared some really powerful um, material with all of us, you know, and and also uh, some powerful idea of understanding, because obviously building that rapport with them, that they can trust you enough, not just intellectually, but emotionally with their sacred story to share that with you it is a gift um, because it, it isn't something that they'll do with everybody, nor should they, because if if they can't trust it, then it's not safe. It's not safe to share it um, mm -hmm. with somebody. They have to have that sense of, especially that they can trust this person deeply before you do it. So, this, and then for you, and that gets back to Aaron's question, not letting that become a place that you get stuck in, but that you can step away and, and the uh, way you describe that with a box and, and have an emotional uh, uh, place that's yours as opposed to each story, I think is just a powerful uh, uh, thing for, I, I remember years ago, uh, Eric, when I first moved to LA in the 90s, uh, I had just went through a pretty traumatic experience with a former girlfriend of mine. I was with her when she died of AIDS. And I came to California two weeks after she passed. And I ended up, once again, uh, you, you can call it a God had a bigger plan or a mm -hmm. God wink. But I ran into this opportunity to perform a one-man piece. And I wrote a piece called Goodbye, My Friend about our relationship and her passing. And I performed it in a play on Hollywood, uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, wow. uh, Boulevard. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it was destroying me because I was going back and reliving this pain and trauma, which I had to do to be able to touch the audience with it. But I didn't want to stay there because that was going to take me down if I was going to stay in that emotional state. And I had to find a way out to walk away from it after the play was over and not let it take me in, into depression or take me into the, the places I didn't want to go. And luckily I was able to do that. I had some tools as well, but it wasn't easy, like you said. And, uh, and at times it was very, very painful. So I can relate to you. It's hard. It, you know, it's one of those uh, hard things to do. Um, but I, yeah, thanks for sharing uh, with that. But I mean, wow, you know, what a journey, man, what a journey you, you went on with that and with these Vietnam vets. And then so you did the second movie, and I think you shared, I think the trailer you sent me is of the third one. Is that correct, uh, Welcome Home? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the trailer I th sent, I think it, uh, it, it's for Searching for Home, Coming Back for More, yes. So, right, so that's the third one you made. Yeah, after yes. The, right, so now you did the Vietnam veteran, you did the Ride to the Wall with them, um, and you you went out on faith. You obviously, like you told your wife, you know, you, you, know, you, you took this journey and went out on faith to go do it, obviously. And that's a lesson I think from uh, that I get from listening to you for people that sometimes, you, you know, it's having that fate to go on that journey. Like oh, yeah. they challenge you to get up and go. It, it was just as a lot easier to just walk away from it. Right. You could have just said, ah, not me. I can't do this and, and have a million reasons that all valid and not do it. But, oh, yeah. Right. And, and it wouldn't have been wrong that you didn't do it. But you chose to go out on fate and find a way, and then you did, and then you and you got to to create that um, amazing story with these Vietnam veterans. So and that was really my introduction into 
the brotherhood, you know, of, of the vets. And that was powerful for me because I was accepted into, especially with the Vietnam vets, they're very leery of the press or any sort of things like that. And, uh, you know, and through that whole process, you know, I, I earned their, I earned their, uh, I guess, respect. And it was a very successful film that, uh, still has repercussions today. I mean, I, I love going, I love going back on the run and having people say, Hey, I saw that, I saw that movie and that's why I'm on the run. And they've been on the run for a long time. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Very cool. Well, I'm going to play, but, but I, let's, let me play that. Give us a little break. I'm going to play the, the, the trailer for the third one. And then we'll talk okay. about it after we, the audience gets a chance to watch it. So awesome. Let's, let's go with that. I'm not going to shoot at a paper target. This is to kill one of their guys before they get the chance to kill one of mine. Cheers, cheers. I consider myself to be a murderer. It's either kill or be killed. It's that basic. You never get over it. And you just kind of live with it inside. Get up every day and get on IraqiCasualties.com and see if my son was killed while I was sleeping. As soon as I saw that, that bright white flash, I thought that I was dead. I didn't let it bother me because I, I just shut down. When you come back home, and society says, we wanted you to go do this, and you had to be like that, but now you're back. You got to be this way now. Home is not home anymore. I had training with what to do in combat. I was not prepared for the reception that I got when I came home. I was by myself. They don't teach you how to hurt people. They teach you how to kill people. It can definitely cause a lot of issues. And yeah, I got to come back and be a husband again. I thought I was normal. I didn't have any problem. Physically, not the same. Mentally, not the same. Then on top of that, I have PTSD. I'm not crazy. The way I am now is normal for what we experience. Just that feeling of accomplishing something right after I just lost my leg, it was a phenomenal feeling. If I can make one veteran breathe easier because of the knowledge that I have, then according to Emerson, I have succeeded. Yes, I think things would have been a lot different had I not gone to Iraq. Um, wow, that's pretty good. Who did that? <laughs> it's funny when you see your work and you haven't seen it in a while. It's it's uh, what a uh, uh, I, I remember you know seeing it. It was powerful and watching it again is just the trailer is powerful and um, just the uh, message of it. You know, tell us a little bit about this one. Now you know you've done you had two under your belt. You now you take on one and now you're going even further. It's not just one event, but you're dealing with the. Uh, uh, trying to come home and that brotherhood of veterans and sisterhood of veterans coming home and dealing with war. What was that like, um, you being in the middle of that and trying to tell their story um, and at the same time participate in their healing and their hope? You know, there, there's kind of two two different places that <clears throat> um, Searching for a Home started from is 
as you see the Vietnam vet on the motorcycle, J.R. Franklin, um, he, he was also in my film homecoming of Vietnam vets journey. And then, um, again, it was another eight year spell or so until the next film after home, uh, after homecoming of Vietnam vets journey to, um, search for home coming back from war. And, uh, and the common thread was J.R. Franklin approached me and said, you know, I, he goes, Eric, I think it's time for you to do another film, you know, and because the conflicts were um, escalating and it was a different, it was a different environment when we made Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey. And uh, we had these vets that are coming home now uh, at that time. And uh so I teamed up with uh, Dr. Jeremy Crosby, and he was a big part of uh, helping me put this together and uh, put Searching for Home together. And so I continued on one of my themes. I call it my thesis. And uh, it just started kind of bubbling to the top is I, I use an aggregate of people's stories. I use a lot of different individuals. I just don't tell one story about one person. and the common thread is the healing. And it seems to me that God has a certain way that we all basically heal. It's just kind of like a scratch. You know, you get a scratch and it scabs over and there's a certain way it heals. And I think there's a certain rhythm to the way that we heal. And no matter what your gender or your, your war was or your generation, or we kind of heal the same. And mm -hmm. so with Searching for Home, I wanted to go after a little bit more diversity. I, it was still in the veterans world, in the in the veterans niche or whatever you want to call it, in the military thing. But um, I really tried to mix it up. You know, we have a female veteran, uh, Sandra Lee. We have um, uh, the, as you saw in the trailer, we have uh, a gentleman named fat cowboy that was his nickname and uh he was a marine purple heart korean vet and uh mm -hmm. we have the vietnam vets and we have the guys that are coming home now and uh and we mix that up and uh part of the thesis is you know are they all going to kind of tell the same story because they all tell a different part of one big story arc mm -hmm. and i remember when i was in the edit suite and we had a three-hour cut of this you know, I think it was well, two and a half hours. But when we sat down and watched it and I saw or I felt that it all connected, um, I, I knew I'd I knew I'd done that. And uh, so that's where kind of searching for home came from. You know, I wanted to tell a broader story. I wanted to connect. You know, one of the things I didn't like when I would hear in the media is, you know, these vets coming home now or they're not the same or did a little uh well, I wanted to prove we have a World War II tail gunner from, you know, a B-17 tail gunner, uh, Benny Jeffries, that was in that film. And he was telling the same story. It's just mm -hmm. a little bit different. Right. But our heart and our soul takes the same journey. So that's that's kind of where Searching for Home came from. And, man, that was an eight-year odyssey, getting that thing done. And, um, man. Really? Was, uh, that was quite... Quite the journey wow. in that film, but it was also very successful on public television. It's aired over 2,400 times on public television. It's been on public television now for over eight years. Wow. It was on iTunes and everything else also. 
but uh, just last year, I, I I just happened to look it up. It played 217 times already uh, just last year. It's wow. something that plays every Memorial Day and every Veterans Day, and it, I, I take a lot of pride in that because um, a lot of veterans are able to see some hope, you know, uh, when they see that. And uh, but it also um, it also validated the veterans that were in the film, from Benny Jeffries to Fat Cowboy to J.R. Franklin. So, you know, as as uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, you know, if if we just help one soul, our, mm. our life made a difference with one soul, then we've been successful. And and that's something I really look at. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of why I started just Live Courageously, a podcast, because it's the same you know, exactly. I, I, I didn't know the uh, Emerson quote, but, you know, if you can touch one per- person and change one person's life and help them, then then you've been a success. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to have these grandiose uh, plans or decisions or any of that stuff. If you, you know, focus on one person and you're there for them and you help them, then then you've accomplished something. You can be uh, proud about it uh, and your life's successful. So, yeah, I agree with you. My buddy, uh, the Vietnam veteran Dave Osbach just wanted to say to you that it was very hard to watch that. He said the healing was hard. It never really ends. So, you know, from his experience in Vietnam too, you know, it, th- that process is, is a tough process and you covered it so strong and so well. Um, and that message, I guess, you know, for me, what I, what I resonate so in all your work is getting out there and showing people hope, you know, showing them that that message and through their own lives, we get to see it. We don't get to hear it intellectually or just preachy, but we get to see it that, you know, there is healing and there is hope. Um, no you know, and- go through. And I, I just commend, you know, commend you for doing that and, and uh, making those kind of projects to be able to touch people's lives. And one thing I, I really want to say, and to your friend also, is, yeah, it doesn't stop. It, it never ends. And that's as a challenge as a filmmaker was, for example, with Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, um, a gentleman, uh, uh, Kenny, he's an Iraq veteran. He came home and things were a mess. And, uh, he, and he didn't know what to do. He went to the VA. Things didn't work out until he got a service dog. Mm. And then he started an organization called Battle Buddy that gets service dogs to other veterans. And um, his healing really took off. Wow. But here's, here's the, the fine line as a filmmaker is I just don't want to see Kenny walk off into the sunset and everything's okay because it's not. And I don't want people to walk away from the film and say, well, if that vet just got a dog, he'd be okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want that. I, I, what I, what I call, I, I want a sober happy ending. It's meaning a real ending, you know, we're, we're they're on a path. That's why right. I just want to show they're on a path. They have hope, but the war still goes on, you know, but it gets better. Right. You know, Ken, Kenny and his dogs and, and, uh, and uh, battle buddies, he's still doing the thing and he's doing great, but I, I can't, it's, everything isn't perfect. No, you know, this, this, the recovery lasts a lot, a lifetime. And that's, as a filmmaker, that's one of my responsibilities is to show it's an ongoing process. And, you know, with my current film, 
unmasking hope you know there's an artist in it and well if we just start painting more pictures then you'll be okay (laughs) no no no. (laughs) you know it's like just get a dog i I don't want to leave people with that i don't want a a fairy tale ending well, I think that that is the the, the strength of it. And so, uh, having just mentioned your your latest one, as we uh, get close, I want to play this one, Unmasking Hope. And I had a chance to see it. I was uh, Marcus Bovey, who we started in the beginning, invited me, and he couldn't come, but I got a chance to come and watch your screening in West LA, and meet some of the people who are in the movie, hear their stories, a Q and A that you did after, and get to hear you know what it was like. So let me play the trailer, and then we'll come to Unmasking Hope. Great. Loss and grief are intensely painful. And yet they are also, in a way, sort of harbingers of human hope and resilience. I was running between the two towers instinctively and wildly and lost my shoes. The teacher. The tutor became what I call the mask maker. Those are bullets. We need to get out. I was assaulted by a fellow soldier. When Tower 2 came down, they both perished. Somebody just sat in a window and actively tried to pick off 22,000 people. Things just turned inside out. Like it sucked something out of me. When people experience a trauma, they still have to function in the world. So what people often do is they put on a mask. Join a diverse group of trauma survivors on a journey to find hope. The moment you can put all of these pieces into context, that starts to bring you back your narrative of, you know what, this happened, I went through it, and now I'm okay. I actually see a future now, whereas before I saw nothing. Cautiously optimistic, but I do have hope. Unmasking Hope. Coming soon to public television. All right. And now this is your latest uh, and obviously a little bit of um, different in the sense that you you deal with people from different forms of trauma all over the place from 9-11 to uh, military uh, rape to uh, survivors of, of, of uh, mass shootings, et cetera. And, and you just tell a wide range, you bring a wide range of group of people together to share their different versions of uh, trauma that they experience and their process of healing and hope. So it, it's um, a very timely, uh, you know, and, and once again, in a time where too many people are experiencing <laughs> events like that, um, I, I just think it's a very powerful message. So tell us a little bit why this one. So you went from two veteran stories, um, and then you, once again, after eight years of spending mm-hmm. right. another one, I'm like, man, you're a glutton for punishment, Eric. Um, you definitely, you know, it's a, your commitment, it's your passion, and it's your desire to really be a storyteller on, on this issue that obviously propels you forward which is, uh, you know, uh, amazing. So why step into the fire again, so to speak, and uh, get to do another uh, documentary like this one that's so powerful? Um, you know, it's interesting. I thought this would be another, I was hoping for a, a, a little year-long ditty, you know? It's <laughs> like, okay, this will be great. This one was four years. 
But um, you know, it's 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 putting the money together and it's just finding the right stories and you know, it just uh but why that you know, this is it's a logical progression of my work and um from an artistic point of view. Um and 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 my thesis, it's a continuing of my thesis as we all heal in similar patterns in similar way. And um and this is the ultimate is just to mix up the traumas, you know. And it's funny when it was first mentioned to me, you know, it's like, oh, you know, maybe you should do some 9-11 in it. I'm like, well, that's a huge issue. I don't know if I can. And my friend's like, dude, you've already done Vietnam. It's like, come on. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, 9-11, the mass shootings, uh, you know, sexual assault. And and we have our veteran in there again. Right. And, uh, you know, uh it was just the logical extension to really mix it up and see if that worked. And again, you know, we have multiple people telling pretty much the same story. And, uh, you know, from the feedback I've been getting, you know, it is now airing on PBS, uh, on public television and it's on PBS streaming. And, uh, but, uh, from the feedback I've been getting, that message is coming across. People understand this. It's just one story that no matter what uh, has happened to you, they're telling kind of the same story. And it so then it leaves a big doorway then for the viewer to be able to step into that. Oh, wow, these are so different. But I had a similar experience, even though it's very different. But these people have found hope and healing also. And uh, so I hope it becomes aspiring and inspiring for the for the individuals but that's you know i just took it a little bit step further and then i took you know my filmmaking techniques and stuff uh even further with this one also well i think you know i i I watched it at, at the theater and uh it was so powerful you know because too it was the variety of each person's story but the common humanity um just kind of hit me so hard because, you know, uh, just because you're not this, you may have experienced that just because you haven't, you weren't in 9-11, but maybe you experienced something else and you realize the common humanity of what happens when people go through trauma. And that's what you do so well in the film. And then after, you know, the Q&A with the, with the uh, people who were participants who told their stories and asked, answered questions. And I guess that's one question I have. Um, with all of the films, it seemed like it to me, listening to them and observing it, but it seemed like the process of them being part of it was also contributed to some of the healing uh, in their lives as well, because they were able to tell the story, they were able to bond, they were able to, so tell us a little bit about that. What do you think is it did, or how does it help the actual participants of the people you covered in all these different uh, documentaries? Oh my gosh, that's such a, a great question and and it's just it's such it's it's how i get paid (laughs) it's it's my soul food you know and that i get documentaries is is not necessarily a money-making venture people but no it's not (laughs) but but i i get paid in god's economy because i get to see these people i mean they're 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 learning curve not the learning but their healing curve go through the roof because here's what happens you know, I approach somebody and it's like, you know, I'm, or they approach me, you know, it's like, 
it's it's interesting how I find people for these films. God kind of leads them to it. They lead me to the the right people. And uh, but you know, first I kind of talk them into doing the film. I, one of the things is other people are going to hear you, and they're going to be able. Your experience will validate other people, and it'll val you know, and ultimately it's going to validate them. So by the sheer fact of just sitting in front of the camera and telling their story, and having somebody interested, and I tell my whole crew. And, uh, you know, there's people that aren't cut out for my crew because they just can't fit in. But I tell my whole crew, you know, transparency and being connected to the subjects is number one above, like, making this movie, you know. And their their comfort and their ability to be able to tell their story and, and for us to be transparent and connect is number one. And but them sitting down and being able to be in this space that we create and tell their story, number one, that's the first validation they get. Somebody's interested enough to hear my story, and they're able to leave it go a little bit of a go by that that by that process. And then the second thing is like our screening. Those individuals that you saw, that was a big moment in their lives because they're sitting there and they see themselves on screen tell their story. Oh my God, that really did happen to me. They hear themselves tell the story and it validates them again. One of the biggest things about trauma recovery is understanding the truth of it and understanding it really did happen. And so that really validates that and being able to see themselves on the screen. Wow, you know, and it was important. Somebody wanted to tell my story. So that's kind of the second level of validation. Mm. And if you if you're a fly on the wall. And after the screening or wherever, then people come up to them and go, oh, my gosh, your story was so powerful. I could connect with this. Thank you for telling your story because it changed my life. That's the ultimate validation for them because then that survivor knows what they went through meant somebody, something to somebody else and helped somebody else. So it wasn't all for nothing. They're actually able to help others by telling their story so it's a it's a three-step process and i've seen it i mean dozens of times i guess i could say in the people that have been in my films so the, in that room that's why it was so important to have that premiere it wasn't to like say hey look at me i'm a filmmaker i don't uh, i don't even like being called a filmmaker you know i'm i'm more of a messenger and but the idea of that premiere was to give them that platform to be able to see themselves on screen and have those people in that audience validate their experience and, 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 and empathize and say, wow, thank you for telling your story. It really affected me. And now I have a little bit of hope I didn't have before. And so then that individual, I, I think of Heidi from the mass shootings, you know, the people in her own family, you know, and I, I've had people, my own family now understands what I went through. You know, and it validates. So that's a huge part of making well, it, these films for me. Well, it, you know, that night was super powerful. I was so uh, lucky, honored, blessed to have been there and attended it and to you know, to watch your work, but also then to talk to the people and to, you know, uh, get, get a moment to connect with them and just, you know, let them know how it impacted me because it was, you know, powerful. I mean, I had a friend uh, who I, I uh, who was a, uh, a leader in Team Red, White, and Blue, Daniel, who mm, uh, uh -huh. he, you know, he was he was one of the people killed at the Border Grill, and we actually played basketball 
you know, he put together a team red, white, and blue basketball game. And I played with him in the Valley. And then he ended up being at, at the, the border grill that night that that mass murder happened. So when that woman shared that story, you know, it was like, I, I could connect because I went to his uh, um, funeral uh, celebration when he passed, you know, uh, when they did that to honor him. But once again, for all of those people to be able to impact and touch somebody, and that's what you did. And one of the things that also stood out for me, and I come away with a couple of your quotes, but that night was uh, they asked you a question at the end about how you, you know, make these connections. How do you find a way as a documentary filmmaker? Because it's not easy. I tried to make a documentary once and it just it, it, it went for a while. I had no money. I had I had nothing. So <laughs> I, know, I know the uphill battle of uh, trying to do it. But for you to get to that that completion and everything, but you said, and the answer to that question was, you said, God is my producer, and I was like, wow. Now that for whatever reason stuck stuck with me, stood out for me, and just you know, it's that fate that you didn't. If you don't know the answer, you don't know how you're going to find the connection. You, you got a bigger producer who's helping you and, and you'll get there. Right. And you have, and you did, but I love that quote. I love that you said that uh, it'll be something that'll stick with me forever. So thank you for that. Oh yeah. It, it's a, it's a working part of like how my whole process, you know, and it's a working part of, you know, when I, even in my cut, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is a mess. I'm like, okay, just moving, keep moving forwards. And then I also tell myself, don't leave until the miracle happens. Keep, Keep moving forwards. Live courageously and move forwards. Don't worry about what the past. Don't worry about what, what you know. It's like I remember at CalArts, one of my teachers said, you know, <clears throat> you know, ask for everything. Try to get as many resources as possible, but be prepared to shoot your movie with the car headlights. Wow, <laughs> I, I've done enough low budget movies to totally one hundred percent agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I totally agree. Well, let me, you, well, a couple of things, because we're coming to the end and, and I could go on for, we both could go on for a lot longer, I'm sure. But um, one is obviously people can watch it on PBS. They can watch it on PBS streaming. Uh, where else can they watch your work, um, both uh, Unmasking Hope, but the previous one, <clears throat> I'm going to put up uh, contact information for you in a minute. But where can people watch this now and uh, how can they support, um, you know, this message? Yeah, if you just go to unmaskinghope.com, uh, I have two little widgets there, and one is... Um, that's not the right one, that's me. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah, unmaskinghope.com, we have a little widget that you can put your uh, zip code in and see where it's going to show on air near you, or you could just uh, go to PBS Streaming or download the PBS app on your smart TV and put in Unmasking Hope, and there it is. And then just to find out what's going on with me, you know, we have our uh, social media with Unmasking Hope on uh, Facebook and on Instagram. And uh, also I have my own personal website, ecproductions.com. And uh, I'm just about to update that with all the latest stuff I'm doing and things like that. And actually right now, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do after this film. Other um, than uh, I'm going to be a grandpa in May. Well, congratulations. So that's my next production. Congratulations. <laughs> then the one other thing real quick is you also, you're an ambassador for a given hour, which is a nonprofit that supported you. And that's a, a group that does uh, work with trauma survivors, I believe. Do you want to mention anything, uh, a word about oh, them? Oh, thank you, John. I'd be remiss not to, not to like mention them. They're, they, they've been amazing. They are our official outreach partner. 
I believe with a film like this, it's just responsible to, you know, to team up with an outside national organization that is boots on the ground. And they, they offer free, uh, they have a network of uh, clinicians and they offer uh, uh, free therapy to people that have went through trauma. And they also have a ton of resources, uh, resources on their website. And that's givenhour.org. And uh, they're, they've just been amazing. They started in the veteran space by uh, offering a, a clinical therapy time to veterans. And now they're expanding into other trauma-related things and mental health. And so uh, they're definitely worth looking at. And also they, they have great resources as far as uh, awareness and things like that with mental health issues and trauma issues. So, uh, um, so givenhour.org and uh, the people there are absolutely wondering when, when I say boots on the ground, they, they, their, their work really does affect people. And um, you know, when you donate to them, you just don't get a water bottle and wonder what happened to your, uh, your money. <laughs> well, they're, I, they're, I, they're, they're amazing people that uh, have affected thousands. Well, I met the woman, uh, Dr. Trina. Uh, is that how you pronounce her name? Her first name? Oh, Trina. Yeah. Trina. Uh-huh. Dr. Trina, right? And Trina I, I, you. I met her at your event, and I'm hoping to have her on the show at one point in the future, too, so she can talk about um, Give an Hour. But yeah, she she was uh, you know, just a positive uh, force out there, and I'm, I was impressed. And I was like, yeah, this seems like a great organization that's doing some real good work, which is uh, important that people know about. So oh, Definitely. Thank you, John. And, and to finish up, anything, any finishing thoughts that you would like to uh, share with us? And once again, thank you so much, Eric, for taking the time, sharing your work with us, sharing your, your thoughts and your, and your uh, ideas with people. Um, you know, you're making an impact uh, on people's lives, and I, I appreciate it. And I know so many other people do as well. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. And it's an honor. And I, I, I'm so glad you made it to the premiere and we're, we hooked up again. And um I just appreciate the friendship and, uh, you know, for the people listening, I, I hope you enjoy Unmasking Hope. It's extremely easy to watch it on uh, PBS uh, streaming. And, uh, you know, if you're moved, drop me a line. You can get a hold of me through the website. So, And I'm going to put up the information now uh, once again uh, for everybody to reach out to Eric. Please watch it. Please share it with people if you know people who've experienced trauma and need some uh some hope and some inspiration and some resiliency, you know, have them take a look at this uh, uh, film because I think it'll give them that. So once again, Eric, <clears throat> thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you coming on the show. I'm going to put your thing up and then I'll close the show down. Um, you have a great, fantastic uh, weekend and I look forward to working with you in the future. You too, John. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Here's uh, contact information for uh, Eric. Uh, you can reach him. At these different places, that's his profile, his websites, his email. Um, you can always come back to this. And um, let me just close out the show. So I hope you enjoyed the show and you were inspired by Eric's message of hope and resiliency. Um, I'd love to get feedback from you on what you enjoyed while watching it and any suggestions that you may have on how I can improve the show in the future and grow the audience for it. So join us every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and live courageously. Thank you very much, everyone.